0: Get more of the Backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory podcast. You can only get here. Support on the Backstory bonus level.
1: So Rick came out with the incredible album at that time. That yeah, He did most of it. He came out when, when, at that time when Children's Story, that wasn't even my favorite record. But my favorite record was Hey, young world, you know I'm in the slow record? Hey, young world, and moment, I see (laughs) it. It's
2: in the 50 50 moment? come on. The first time I heard something from Flick Rick, I was young, I was in my early teens. The song that I heard, it was Lottie Dottie, you know what I'm saying? It was like, he was totally different
1: than anybody else that was rapping. It had a sound, a style, unlike anything I ever, ever heard before. There's the MCs, a rapper that just rants and talks, and there are a handful of rappers that can lyricize and paint a picture of what they're talking about.
0: That's three legends Bismarcky, Snoop Dogg, and Grandmaster Flash talking about one of the greatest MCs and storytellers of all time slick rick
2: like i said before back in the days i was a guest on dougie's ship you know what i mean he had his own label he had his own i mean he had his own contract all that stuff i came on we blew up you know what i mean and you know it was was a little baby money matter thing you know what i mean i couldn't really expect to go half and half because it was his ship you know right right so i just stepped off and did my own thing
0: welcome to the backstory podcast i'm your host colby colb and this is the story of slick rick He came on the scene with tremendous fury with one of the most iconic hip hop songs of all time. Then he goes solo, drops a classic debut album, selling millions, achieving success during one of the most competitive, explosive eras in hip hop. An inspiration to generations of MCs for it all to completely fall apart after fame and success created numerous problems for Rick, which led to an act of violence on his part, arrest, then conviction putting a promising career, just getting started on hold.
2: You know what I'm saying? Thank you. We all thought we was tough before we went inside, kid. And we wow. see these cats, these little alligator skin cats. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Even after his release from jail, as he tried to regain his career, and because of his felony conviction, he was dealt more blows. This is the backstory of Slick Rick. Throughout this episode, I will share some clips... From an interview we did in 1999, it was my one and only interview with this iconic artist. One of the themes you will hear is his maturity and viewpoint about real life versus rap life. A lot of what he's saying holds true today. If there was a Mount Rushmore of rap gods... There should be a place for the legendary Slick Rick.
3: Hi, Rick. Hi, Trina. Um, I'm glad to hear you back. I'm old school. I'm 29, and I've listened to you for a long time. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to know if you could play Hey, Young World. Yeah, no problem. And hey, Young World? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know why? I wanted to get that dedicated to um, my son's father. His name is Jerry, uh-huh. and he's 33 years old. And my son is two, and he just abandoned us. Uh, You know what I mean? It's like his head is not together. It's like his head is where he's like 21. Okay, I'm 29. Maybe
2: he'll come come around eventually, you know? You know,
3: what? I gave it to God, and the way it's going to be is the way it's going to be. But I'm just trying to stay positive and just try and raise a strong black male. Well, you
2: you definitely laid it out right, you know what I'm saying? So something definitely going to come good to you. Thank you so
3: much, Flick Rick, and God bless
2: you. That's
0: a young mother hoping the father of her child will mature and the impact of Hey Young World, a song that is a big brother talk to a youngster. This resonated with a lot of impressionable hip-hop fans who are all grown up now. You can still feel the impact his music had. Then to be taken away just like that during the beginning of hip-hop's renaissance period in the 90s was a great loss for us all.
2: The rulers back I made while I was in this hiatus, they call it, you know what I mean, between 80, 85, and 88, I had to do something, you know what I mean? It was just too empty. I'm riding bicycles and shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not like that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. People always come up to you and say, hey, how you doing? So what, the first thing, what you been up to? Ain't no matter. You know, they nice, polite, oh, then it's... Nigga, when you gonna make? What? You broke, nigga? What the fuck is you want? Nigga, make a record? What the? When you broke, what you want? You want a job, nigga? What the fuck
0: is? That's Rick talking about the rulers back from his debut album, and he's referencing that time period when you drop a hot song and a bunch of time goes by without another one. That's really a microcosm of Slick Rick's career: big bursts of time, then a long break. So let me tell you about Slick Rick. His real name is Richard Martin Lloyd Waters. He was born in 1965 in a section of London called Mitcham. His British Jamaican roots ran thick. As an infant, he was blinded in his right eye by glass. This would play a part in his rap character, which would take shape later in life. In 1976, an 11-year-old Richard Martin and his family migrate to the United States and settle in New York City. This, too, will play a major part in the obstacles he was yet to face. His family settles in the borough that birthed the music that would change his life. The Bronx, or BX, specifically the Baychester section of the borough. The Bronx is the birthplace of hip-hop. So Richard relocates to another country. He has a British accent in the Bronx while a very fertile hip-hop genre is being born. 11 miles away and three years earlier at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue, hip-hop was born and was flourishing first all throughout the Bronx before it spread to other sections of New York City. When you think of Bronx MCs historically, one of the great MCs that doesn't get his due, Grandmaster Cass. I'm going to tell you a story about him in a a minute. Starsky, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. I mean, Grandmaster Flash was an amazing DJ with five MCs that were also amazing. The legend himself, I need to bow down as I say this, KRS-One. Fat Joe. These are some of the legends of the Bronx. So as all this energy was exploding, a young Richard was absorbing and connecting with other like-minded young people attracted to this very exciting music. It was during this period in New York City where gangs were prevalent throughout the city, and they took over neighborhoods. In the 1979 movie The Warriors, it made light of New York's gang culture. Another movie in the 80s called Fort Apache the Bronx tells the story of the 41st police precinct, which was in the most dangerous square mile neighborhood in America. It was so bad they called it Fort Apache. The 41st is one of the most violent precincts in the city. Last year, nearly 11,000 serious crimes were reported here, one for every 15 residents. 4,000 people were assaulted, robbed, raped, or murdered. Out of this desperation, hip-hop was born. And in every community in the Bronx, you would see graffiti, dance, and rap start to form, molding the mind of a young kid with an eye patch and an accent. Inspired by the Cold Crush Brothers and Busy Bee, Rick's MC journey would start. In school, his favorite subject was English. That's where he would hone his brilliant skill set as a storyteller. He attended the prestigious Music and Arts High School in New York City, which was the home base for a lot of creatives in music, television, and film. They actually made a movie in 1980 about this high school called Fame. There was a TV show after that as well. This is where he met fellow rapper Dana Dane and with three other members formed the Kangol crew and Richard became MC Ricky D. Dana and Rick bonded over fashion. It started with Adidas, Lees, Pumas, and Pro Keds, the gear all New York City kids were rocking in abundance. Even though they didn't have a lot of money, the gear started to get more expensive. Clark Wallabies, Kangol, Bally were very fashionable items to wear in hip-hop culture at that time and they would collect them. Plus, worked together with his crew to make rhymes.
2: You know, I saw the beauty around me, what everybody was doing at my age, you know what I mean? And I incorporated it myself once I could afford it, you know what I mean? And just brought it to the TVs, and there it is, you know, because everybody was wearing jewels. Everybody had nice cars and nice clothes, you know what I mean? Certain people have more style than others. Like each one teach one. You look around, you, you learn from different people. You learn from the 70s, you learn from the 80s. You learn from the 90s, you learn from the 60s, you learn from the Savvy Davises. We styled it, we bought Lees, Adidas.
0: In fact, there was another rapper inspired by these hats, and he named himself after the hats, Kangol, in the group UTFO, who had a huge hit in 1985 called Roxanne, Roxanne. Dana Dane would go on to have a career as an artist as well. So this Kangol crew didn't have any resources, but they would bang on tables and rap. Ricks Lane would be storytelling from the start.
2: So, stories is my field, you know? So, I'll probably stick with the stories, take it in whatever whatever moved the heart, you know? Whatever moved the heart is where I'm gonna go. I'm going go that direction. I, mean, I ain't never gonna give off no bad, no bad right, rat, right, you know? I might say a curse or something like that here and there, you know? Nothing to really offend nobody or nothing, you know?
0: After graduation from high school, Rick entered a talent showcase where he met Doug E. Fresh, who was already a beatboxing legend. He had already had some songs out on the radio, but he was featured in the 1984 hip-hop film Beat Street. If you get a chance to look at the Beat Street movie, there's a scene where Kumo D, who was at the time in The Treacherous Three, was doing a Christmas rap in a club and Dougie was doing the beats.
2: Well, I got into the hip-hop game professionally through Dougie Fresh. Um, used to do a lot of shows in the Bronx, and one day I approached him, and from then it's been like we just been the glue, you know? Well, well, that's how I got in. And then, you know, I branched off and stuff like that. Doug was a
0: judge in the talent show, and he was so impressed with Rick's storytelling rhyme that he made him a part of his Get Fresh crew and readjusted his name to Slick Rick. Now, also during this time, fresh out of high school, Rick was working as a mail clerk at the famed investment bank Lehman Brothers. That bank, by the way, was one of the first institutions to crash during the Great Recession in 2008. So during this time, he's with the Get Fresh crew. He's making $500 a month at his job at Lehman Brothers. A year later, their lives would change. Lottie Dottie was something that they had put out on a mixtape during that time, and the tape spread all throughout the city, eventually making its way to the radio. The Enjoy label saw that they had a special song and signed them. In the summer of 1985, they released the show with the B-side Lottie Dottie. It was the beginning of a great rap era. The show itself, the song, was six minutes long, and it took over the radio. Doug's infectious beatboxing with the great story told by Slick Rick over a melodic track inspired by the music to the kids' television show Inspector Gadget. Lottie Dottie, the B-side to the show, was a rhyme over a beatbox with creative twists and turns. Slick was masterful at telling a story like a movie with funny ad-libs. A big song out a few years earlier by the R&B group Taste of Honey, called Sukiyaki, was the inspiration for It's All Because of You, I'm Feeling Sad and Blue. Google the original song. The show and Lottie Dottie are two of the greatest hip-hop records in history. This moment transformed their lives as they toured all over the world. They did TV appearances like Soul Train. In fact, when they went to Soul Train... They were so busy that they flew into L.A. just to do that one song, the show, and they didn't even do a detailed interview with Don Cornelius. You can Google that clip and you'll see how quick the interview was because they had to jump on another plane to go to Dallas. Now, through all of this, Rick was still working at his mail job at Lehman Brothers, but he was also making $300 a show. So he gave up his job and hit the road with the Get Fresh crew. Now, the show and Lottie Dottie are both 35 years old, still a classic. Generations of people love both of these songs. For Slick Rick, this was his coming out party. The storytelling was so interesting, so witty. There were layers to his story which really made the song go. Now, here's something that will blow your mind. The show, the song itself, has been sampled in 150 other songs. And, lotty dotty, that one song has been sampled 992 different times in different songs. The cultural impact of these two songs will go on for generations. A who's who in music has used some part of these songs. In fact, what you should do is listen to both the show and Lottie Dottie. And if you haven't paid any attention to it, you'll hear so many other samples and so many other songs that you love that came from those two songs. So you think this was the beginning of a great partnership. But just like that, it was over. A recurring theme in Slick's career. They toured for a good year on this project, and Slick was making around $300 a show. He would then see how much the group was making, upwards of six grand a show, and he walked away. So in 1986, he decided it was best for him to branch off on his own. In this 1999 interview we did, we talked about the breakup. Back
2: in the days, I was a guest on Dougie's ship, you know what I mean? He had his own label, he had his own, I mean, he had his own contract, all that stuff. I came on, we blew up, you know what I mean? And, you know, it was a little baby money matter thing, you know what I mean? I couldn't really expect to go half and half because it was his ship, you know what I mean? Right, right. So I just stepped off and did my own thing. So, no, eventually, you know, time took his toll. Public said, yo, we want to see Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh do their thing together. And we said, yo, we're going to oblige. You know what I'm saying? And that's
0: what we did. We oblige. Wow. Interesting enough, around this time, Bobby Brown left New Edition. Same thing. It's like, I got to go solo. I got to do my own thing. And it worked out for him. So hip hop was really starting to explode during this period. Many of the artists from Doug's era were on independent labels going from song to song doing shows. This was the era of Body of Works, classic debut albums, and the pressure to deliver.
2: I looked at it like a variety thing at first, you know what I mean? Like, you got your lane, I got my lane, variety, you know? I'm more humor, and shit like that. You were more, like, battle, complex. When they came in the game, it's, it's, the game started getting changed, so it's almost like the whole game became, like, a one- battle not variety anymore so now you gotta step up your intricacy everybody had like lines like you suckers mine was you crumbs you peasants when when it came like that you almost had to force yourself to stay in the mix like that like stay in a battle rap type of a situation but my strength still was more like stories and humor which still gave me a lane regardless
0: also happening during this time There was a burgeoning rap label, Powerhouse, which was started two years earlier in the NYU dorm room of Rick Rubin, and they were starting to build their roster. They had LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys, the first two signings. Russell Simmons, the partner of Rick Rubin, saw the power of the show in Lottie Dottie and immediately signed Slick Rick to a solo deal. This was a huge deal in the hip-hop world when it was announced. And it was so much anticipation for his solo album after the success of the show and Lottie Dottie. And many wondered, would Doug and Slick be able to survive and succeed without one another? I mean, Rick was going from a fluid indie situation to a major label situation. A major label that was in the early stages with several high profile successful albums under its belt. Slick and the people would have to wait, though. In hip hop, everything moves at lightning speed. We are now quickly removed from the success of the show, which came out in 1985. Now you add in the pressure that was on Slick for a solo project. Plus, he was now all on his own. No Kango crew or Get Fresh crew, so he felt the pressure of succeeding. He had also not had a hit for over a year. Def Jam was moving so slow, so he leaked a song to radio, The Ruler's Back. One of the classics from his debut album, To Test the Waters.
2: The rulers back I made while I was in this hiatus, they call it, you know what I mean? Between 80, 85, 86, and 88. I had to do something, you know what I mean? It was just too empty. I'm riding bicycles and shit, you know what I mean? People always come up to you and say, Hey, how you doing? So what, the first thing, what you been up to? Hey, no matter, you know, they're nice, polite, oh. Then it's, Nigga, when you gonna make it? What? You broke, nigga? What the fuck? You want a job, nigga? What the fuck? I was just sitting there looking all homeless and shit. You know what I mean? Is see how they make you put a record out before you put an album out? That's what I was trying to do. Like, let's go! Come on! It's eighty, eighty-six. It's eighty-eight. I gotta do something. I gotta. I know that. Put this on the radio. It will tell me my status is still there. New York mindset. You know what I mean? Was you make your joint, whether it's a cassette, whatever. Then you gotta get connected into the radio. We needed to get this cassette to this cat and say, listen, when you get a chance, play this cassette. That's how the rulers back got out. This is what I was in this this space between. Me. 86 and 88 with Def Jam. It was taking too long, you know what I mean? I need to keep my name alive. So I put, gave it to Red I and so Red played a song and he played it and it took off. And it was just a cassette. It was just like Lottie Dottie was just a cassette and it took off. Then they made it a record, which Almost like forced the record label was to stop dragging their feet, let's go, let's get going. So that was how that goes. You, get, you make your record, you try to get a connection into the radio stations, the hip hop's part of the radio stations. You see if you, you can get these cats to play it, and then you build on that.
0: His plan worked. In an era before the internet and social media, if you loved hip-hop, you got your fix from the radio. Usually late on the weekends, and these shows were crucial to the hip-hop ecosystem. The artists and labels would use these radio shows to create buzz. Demo records on cassette leaked to radio were a very important tool for artists. It allowed an up-and-coming hot artist who had a fan base to float song ideas and gauge results from radio airplay. It also helped to give the artists a sign that they were going in the right direction with a project. I had a show like that in Philly called Radioactive, and I would get all kind of stuff leaked to me to create buzz. So, Slick Rick gives a tape of the rulers back to the most influential hip-hop radio DJ in the country. And at that time, that was DJ Red Alert in New York City on KISS FM. And its plan worked. Now, everybody knew Slick was going to deliver something very special. Hip-hop was heading into another explosive period of growth. And competition was tough. See, today, anybody can make a record, put it out, a kid in his basement can make a song and become a star overnight. In this era, in the late 80s, there was only radio, and most radio stations only played hip-hop at nights or on weekends, so a lot of people wanted these slots to play their songs. Slick talked about that creative process during that time.
2: Sometimes the music tells you where it wants to go. You know, if it sounds like this, then you go that way. You feel, It's like, it's like you're connecting the dots. You go where, where it complements each other. Once you're inspired, you just fill in the hole. You fill in the, the bubble. You fill in the spaces. You write the story. Any part that seems boring, edit it, fix it, whatever. It's really like you entertain yourself. It's really like you're talking to yourself. Because you can, if you entertain yourself, then you present it to the world.
0: It was also during this time... Where he created a style of him going back and forth with himself on record.
2: When I was in high school, we had a group called the Kango Crew. It was me, Dana Dane, some other cats. One cat of Lance Brown, Omega, and then Alfred. we just have routines where we would interact with each other like this. So when I broke out by myself, what I have no way I'm interacting by myself, so I have to I have to interact with myself. And you're just interacting with yourself, so you act like you're like two people. Like this is Dana and I'm over here and I'm interacting with Dana Day, but it's really not there. You know what I mean? And I'm just it's just like watching a, a time. Tyler Perry movie when he does two people and he's interacting with himself, but he makes sure they don't look the same and they don't sound the same and shit like that. So it's pretty much
0: like that. It's interesting that he mentions Tyler Perry, but around this time, the comic legend Eddie Murphy was another New Yorker who started as a character actor on Saturday Night Live at 19, who then quickly became a movie star. He was doing the same thing on film, creating multiple characters that he would play on screen at the same time. In the movie Coming to America, which was released five months before Slick Rick's debut album. Rick talks about the creative process of making his debut album.
2: I got me like an eight-track and the, the drum machine that organ. I put in my my and I had in the basement, of my mother's house. So I started like that. So then I transferred those ideas to the studio. What I did at home, I brought it over there. Boom, they had 24 tracks. All I had is eight. And I got more than enough space to play around, sound effects. You know what I mean? A lot of ideas I had already had stashed. So when I signed with Def Jam, I used those ideas and I came with some more. So when it came, like like I said, like out now like you got to. Comp- all of the joints. Right? I already knew that some of them joints was gonna be a problem. Children's strike knew was gonna be a problem. Monthly going would be a problem. You already in the streets. They trying to sell to the streets. You already know the streets is in your pocket. So when I give it to them, they just gonna spread it worldwide. So if you can run New York, if you can make noise in New York, you can make noise everywhere. Once you give it to the record label and they spread it, then you're good. So I already knew it was good I was good. You know what I mean? When I knew that, you know, my you know, minority is gonna move, you know what I mean? And then everybody else gonna move.
0: Then there was the look. That same year, Eric B and Rakim released the iconic album, Paid in Full. The album cover featured them both with Dapper Dan Gucci suits and big gold chains, which were common in the hood. Slick already had the eye patch, but again, he was putting together his own persona, so he created the truck jewelry look. No one was rocking as much jewelry as Slick Rick was.
2: Well, it wasn't my thing. It was the entire ghetto thing. you know what I mean? I was just coming up. Like I said, it's like pressure and inspiration. Remember, when I was coming up, you know, I got my little sub something You start off slow. You know, you get a little ring and a watch. And you wear like shirts and ties. You hide the fact you can't afford the chain yet, but nobody don't know that. So when you see like covers of Rockem and, and Eric B. You know what I mean, and you see the big chains of more multiple sizes, you say, "Listen, I got, I gotta get that. I can't afford it yet, but I'm gonna get that. I gotta get that." You know what I'm saying? So it inspires you to go that route. The whole entire ghetto game was going in this a certain direction. You don't want to be left behind. You walk in the club, you looking all the cats over there iced out. You know, bottles, you look all broke, but your name has some status, but you don't got no, you don't look status.
0: If you're an up and coming artist and you're listening to this podcast, you can learn so much about becoming a success from Slick Rick. So let me set the stage. It was 1988. The biggest group in hip hop was Run DMC. They had just released their fourth album, Tougher Than Leather, at the beginning of the summer with two missiles, Run's House and Beats to the Rhyme. And of course, they toured the country that summer with EPMD, Public Enemy, and Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, who also had released their second album, He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, which was a massive album. It was hip-hop's first double album, and they went triple platinum, which was a huge accomplishment in the genre. But for a non-New York-based hip-hop group, an amazing achievement. And Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, on the strength of that album, won the first rap Grammy. As I was saying earlier, hip-hop was entering a new explosive period. That summer, as this huge ensemble tour crossed the country, Run DMC was setting up their movie to go along with this album. The Tougher Than Leather movie was anticipated for years. In 1985, they did a movie called Crush Groove, which was a tremendous success, and Tougher Than Leather was supposed to come out one year later. It kept getting delayed. Run DMC was on Profile Records, but managed by Russell Simmons, who was Run's brother. Russell was also the head of Def Jam and had Rush Management, which at that time managed all the top artists in the business. Think of Rock Nation today. That's what Rush Management was back then. Russell Simmons had also signed Slick Rick to Def Jam, and he was finally prepared to release Slick's debut album. In September of 88, the movie Tougher Than Leather finally comes out. And for all the hype, it was really awful. (laughs) In fact, you should Google the trailer to the movie. And get a really quick laugh. The Washington Post review was brutal. This is what the guy said in the Washington Post at the time. Run DMC's Tougher Than Leather is vile, vicious, despicable, stupid, sexist, racist, and horrendously made. Call it rap rapsploitation. But since it's a pure product of Russell Simmons' Rush Def Jam rap empire, that's just another word for business as usual. Sometimes there's no difference between in-house and out-house. <laughs> what a review, right? It didn't matter because Run DMC were superstars, two years removed from their triple platinum third album, Raising Hell. So, audience flocked to the movies to see this film. Russell Simmons makes sure his new big signing had a cameo in the movie. You'll notice a slick Rick without the eye patch and gold chains performing, treated like a prostitute.
2: It wasn't ready in the stash. Once they said 12, 13 records, you gotta get your stash. You got to get all the shit, you know, that works. And Run D.M.C. want to put in their movie, Tough of the Level, you already know.
0: Now, this wasn't his strongest song on the album, but it was more of a formal reintroduction of Slick Rick nationally. And it kind of fit the theme of the movie. That song fit it. Again, Slick Rick masterfully tells a tale with all kinds of twists and turns. Now, there is way more buzz about his new album, and a few months later, the label releases his first single, Teenage Love.
2: Teenage Love is probably like something something like, it's more like like a heartbroken story of, you know, going through your little crushes. It doesn't pan out, and you all heartbroken, and they over there happy with cheerleaders with little jocks.
0: <laughs> Produced by Eric Sadler and Hank Shockley, a.k.a. The Bomb Squad, they were the masterminds behind Public Enemy and would give a lifeline to Ice Cube when he left NWA. Teenage Love became a hit and it prepared the world for this iconic debut album. And in November 1988, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick was released. The storytelling was unlike anything we had heard before. He picked up where he left off with the show and Lottie Dottie. The album was a classic, with several songs that are long standing hits today. For instance, you can't go anywhere in the world without some DJ in a club playing Mona Lisa.
2: This was playing around, you know, how you see in the in ghetto community, you see these pretty light-skinned girls, I just call them Mona Lisa. Dionne Warwick's Walk On By was in Mona Lisa. I threw a lot of old 60s songs in my album, you know, because it's like you grew up on it, and they have like a, a pretty nostalgic effect with us at that age.
0: Then there was Kit, What's the Scoop, which was based on the TV show Night Rider, which was out at that time.
2: You like Michael Knight and all that stuff. This is stuff we used to watch when we was growing up. We figured, what the heck, let's tell a story where Michael Knight and the car talks back and forth to us. Give it a story and just run with it like that.
0: The iconic Hey Young World, which unfortunately would kind of mirror a sad chapter in his career.
2: Well, he come from a, 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 a Jamaican upbringing. So it has that reggae element to it. It's like studying the mindset of certain cats who can fall victim to crime. It's like a cautionary tale. Seeing it from a small person, studying a big person's life choices and how easily you can fall into it.
0: One of the most interesting songs on the album and one of my all-time favorite Slick Rick songs was The Moment I Feared. Now check this out. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story of this song. And after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and stream The Great Adventures of Slick Rick and just close your eyes and listen to the brilliance. You've heard it before and you're familiar with it, but just listen again. I did that before I recorded this podcast just to kind of feel the vibes of what he was feeling. But anyway, the moment I feared, it's the day in the life story of a young man who was at work on a Friday, excited for the weekend. And he's going to go to the Latin Quarter Club at the time, which was a big hip hop club in New York City where people came from all over the city. He's from the Bronx, and he's wearing his gold chains, and he come across some kids from Brooklyn. Words are exchanged, and the Brooklyn kids jump the kid from the Bronx. He tells them the chains are fake, but they still beat him up. He then picks up his face, gets on the subway, and heads towards home. When he gets near his house, he stops for a drink, then sits in the park where he sees a guy from around the way named Danny Boy and his girl Sarah in his car. She calls out to Slick for directions to a place next to his apartment. He goes home, sleeps till three the next day, and Sarah knocks on his door. She comes in and they have sex. When they are finished, Danny Boy confronts them about having sex. Danny then swings on Rick, who pulls out his gun and shoots Danny dead. Slick and Sarah go to her apartment, where it turns out that Danny Boy was a drug dealer and she had his drug stash and tells him they now can be rich, meaning her and Rick. Slick doesn't like anybody around him that's not good for his health, so he kills her, and now he has the drugs and the money, and now he is the neighborhood kingpin, and his chains and his fronts in his mouth are all real. He gets respect in the neighborhood. This is short-lived, though. It's cops close in on him. They have DNA evidence that can prove he committed these two murders. He rhymes. This was the rise and fall of my fast lane style, and I was the main event on the TV for a while. But now I'm in jail doing life, and I'm scared some kids snuff me cold and grease me where no one dared. The next sound you hear is a grown man raping another grown man in jail, and the wailing of Rick being raped. All of this in three minutes and 36 seconds. That was a movie inside a song.
2: Brooklyn was always known for robbing and rolling in wolf packs. You gotta have those jewels, little swag, trying to press the opposite sets. And then here comes the wolf pack. So you got to like tuck your watch, start tucking stuff. You want the story to address the environment you're in at that modern day.
0: Here's hip hop legend Biz Markie discussing the first time he heard The Moment I Feared.
1: When you sitting in the car, he said, Yo, I'm going to let you hear this. But you not, don't tell nobody. He played Moment of Fear. My head fell off. I had to pull it back on. it back on. Because it was with the style. It was in the style. String in my teeth. It was in with the vision. Pull it out of the ring. God! We got that much got. that. pop Then we went to go get some Chinese food.
0: The Great Adventures album had so many layers. One other song off the album was the classic Children's Story. That
3: yeah. was kind of hot. Yeah. Man.
2: I like the ending kid. That shit got, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that be put me on the floor, you know what I
3: mean? <laughs> you know what, what I, I love best about that song was your video, man. Oh, the yeah. way that you did the video, you had the Keystone Cops, and you had, you had all yeah. these different things coming. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, people can say what they want to say, but, you know, you
2: were doing a lot of stuff back then that people yeah. try to do now. You were very creative in your videos. Okay, thank you. That was not by my part. You know, that was uh, the label's, label's ideas, you know what I'm saying? But thanks anyway. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. I was the tune behind that. Similar to the show and Lottie Dottie, Children's Story is a song that you will hear in any club today. This song has been sampled 104 times in other songs. Hey, Young World was sampled 60 times in other songs. Mona Lisa, 34 times. Lick the balls, 21 times. It's hard to find an artist who's sampled as much from one project. The Great Adventures album is unprecedented because of its influence on so many generations of hip-hop fans.
2: It's a strange feeling at times, you know what I mean? Because, um, like, you might go to an autograph site and then instead of 30, you see some young, young, young children. Right, right, right. Whoa, girl, a little girl, be like, yo, son, What you doing later? I'm like, yo, yeah, shorty, slow it down, slow it down. No, you didn't say that, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you get that strange feeling right there, you know what I'm saying? But besides that, it's all good, you know what I mean?
0: The response to the album was overwhelming. Slick Rick was a star, and his fan base was vast, and the album goes platinum. During this time, fueled by Russell Simmons' domination of management of a majority of artists in hip hop through his Rush Management firm. I remember one time, too, just a funny story. It was a group out of Philadelphia called Three Times Dope who, like, blew up in 1988. And I remember Russell Simmons being at the event, station event that they were performing on. And he put them in a corner, and he was just like, screw your management, you need to come to Rush Management because Russell Simmons had Rush Management, and it was sort of like the power source of hip-hop. So, like, if you wanted a tour or something Rush Management will get it for you. Now, other people can get it for you, too. But Rush Management had just so much power over all the artists. And they would set up one big mega hip hop tour that would sell out arenas every summer all over the country. These tours would have the top artists. And it was usually headlined by Run DMC, who were the gods of rap in that era. Each summer, these tours would be huge cultural events for hip hop in every city. Slick Rick was the new kid on the block, except he had the show and Lottie Dottie in his back pocket and this debut album. You would think that being on top, finally making his own money and living the dream of using hip hop to make a living, carving his own lane with his just no one else like him in the genre was the beginning of a great story. But soon things would go horribly wrong. It's no secret that fame and wealth bring additional problems. But what happens next in Slick Rick's life is truly a horror story. So let's fast forward a year after the success of his debut album, and things spiral out of control quickly. Because of his popularity, he now would have to have security around him at all times. His mother was his manager and wanted to hire a bodyguard that they could trust. So in 1989, in the midst of his ascending success, they hire his cousin Mark Plummer. Mark's job because he only had one job, was to protect Slick. Instead, he felt that he was owed something beyond the payment for security, so he tried to extort his cousin Rick, who quickly fired him. Then Mark responded with threats of robbing and killing both him and his mother. In addition, Rick was shot in a Bronx club, so tensions were really high for him. He ended up arming himself with a cache of weapons to protect himself and his family. Now looking back on it, it must have been terrifying for Rick because his cousin, who was security, knew intimate details of his life and how he moved around. It also had to be devastating emotionally to know the person you expect to have your back was plotting against you and your own family and their family. So one day, Rick sees bullet holes in his front door, and he's had enough. So on July 3rd, 1990, he receives a tip that his cousin was looking for him in the neighborhood. So Rick, armed with six loaded weapons, goes looking for his cousin in the same neighborhood. He finds him, then shoots him, and this is where things get worse for Rick. He missed his cousin and ends up shooting an innocent person. The second shot then hits the cousin, grazing the cousin's foot. In a panic, Rick flees in his car but ends up crashing his car into a tree. He was immediately arrested and charged with second-degree attempted murder. His life now was spiraling out of control. Imagine being on such a high career-wise and you find yourself in jail for attempted murder. What also was so perplexing for most hip-hop fans is that Rick was not a hardcore rapper, unlike some of his peers at that time.
2: It is really ironic that Ricky D
3: is the one who's in jail for a serious length of time when, in fact, a lot of other artists,
2: um, you know, have been through talk about it and are part of a more rough lifestyle and more threatening in a lot of ways.
0: And unlike other rappers who talk about crime so cavalierly, Rick was very apologetic and remorseful.
2: I guess I would say I handled it in an adolescent type of a fashion, you know what I'm saying? I should have handled it in a more, you know, adult fashion, you know what I'm saying? Because right now I'm suffering. My son is suffering, you know what I'm saying? I could be out there. I could have... Five years of my life went to waste, you know what I'm saying? So I definitely have remorse. You know, I, showed, I, I spoke to the cause I, innocent bystander also got hit in the foot when I caught the case, you know what I'm saying? So me and him been on good terms now, you know what I'm saying? I spoke to him, talking. you know. That didn't mean, you know, you know, what happened to happen, you know what I'm saying?
0: So Slick Rick is stuck in jail and facing the trial and a long prison sentence. It had to affect his recording process. Russell Simmons bails him out, and during this period, he records two albums worth of material and videos. So he starts recording his second album, The Ruler's Back. But creatively, he wasn't in the space he needed to be to take on the monumental task of following up such a classic album. This is a much different space when you're desperately recording an album because you're running out of freedom and not sure when you'll get out. Hip-hop is constantly evolving, and you add on the pressure of a sophomore album after delivering a classic, Now, this isn't uncommon for musical artists. You deliver a classic, then the world expects another classic to follow. The pressure is immense. And in hip-hop per capita, there are probably way more sophomore slumps on record. In the hip-hop space, you face the same pressure to make an even better project. Plus, there are waves of MCs gunning for you trying to diminish your success because you were successful. It's deep, right? Other labels will put out copycat artists, which sometimes can water down the brain. It's still happening today. Plus, you face an insatiable appetite of people who expect greatness at all times. I'm sure this is maddening. Great comedians go through this all the time. They have the pressure in everyday life. People expect them to always be on. You could say Michael Jordan lived up to that hype in basketball. In hip-hop, it's even tougher. So, in March of 1991, Rick was convicted, then sentenced to 3 to 10. This was the bottom for sure. Two years removed from reaching a dream goal, he finds himself upstate. And if you recall from the track, my favorite track off the album, The Moment I Feared, he rapped about street life, confrontation, and eventual jail. This had to be overwhelming for him. I mean, not many people who are just regular people can come back from that. What was that like for him? Uh,
2: Slick records in there, slick records in there, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know you got a lot of smart mouth. (laughs) You hear niggas say all type of smart mouth stuff, you know, we're going to rob him, we going to do this, we going to do that, you know what I'm saying? But after a while, all that died out, you know, that was just scare intimidation type stuff, you know what I'm saying? Then, you know, a lot of people start showing you love, you know what I'm saying? You know, because, you know, they family know you, you know, they want to take pictures or whatever, you know, sign autograph here, there, you know what I'm saying? It's all right though. The atmosphere is not as bad as I would have expected it to be. It has its ups and downs.
0: He goes on further to discuss this time in his life.
2: Man, I just just did a lot of praying, kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, when I was when I was in, in the system, I wasn't really writing too much. You know what I'm saying? No, all this stuff, all this all this material is brand spanking new since I came home. You know. I just try to get home, kid. That's it, you know? Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't in the right frame of mind while you were in the system. Too much ruckus going on. Right. You know, so once I came home, finally got that little smell of freedom. You know, that dark cloud that was holding me back was gone, you know what I mean? Right. So it was like smell of roses.
0: Four months after he goes upstate, Def Jam releases his follow-up album, The Ruler's Back. As a Slick Rig fan, I like the album. Once again, he delivers some creative beats from start to finish. Rick had also filmed a couple of videos. You could tell the album was rushed, though, but the storytelling was still present. The wit, the depth of the stories in the songs were there. I Shouldn't Have Done It, Bond, Moses, the song Tonto is a Movie, Mistakes of a Woman in Love. That track was smooth. He rapped the verse softly, and the story he told was Vintage Rick. Venus, It's a Boy, where he talks about his son. Top Cat is another track that felt like a movie. Slick Rick could tell a story. So, stream... The Rulers Back, his second album. If you're just not familiar with it, don't remember it. It's just a really good album. I mean, you really get a chance to absorb the brilliance of Slick Rick. Now, you know, it's obviously years later when I'm talking to him, 1999, and we had talked about the second album, Behind the Scenes, and we got into a debate about it. I understood where he was at creatively when he made this album. However, there were some gems, and then I went on the air and played a few songs from that album, one of which was one of my favorites off the album, which was Runaway. And he responded to it. You're wrong. The album was not
3: whack. I'm telling you, the album was.
2: was I'm telling you, man. I I like that one. That. that You know why I wrote that one? Why? Because when I was in the system, when I was going into incarceration, you know what I'm saying? I had a shorty that was with me, you know what I'm saying? One of my baby moms, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And I knew she wasn't going to do that vid. You know what I'm saying? I knew right, she right. Hang out. You know, so right. I was just basically breaking it down in codes. But if you decipher it, you can basically hear what I'm really right, saying, right. You know what I'm saying? It was like, emotion oh, behind man. that though. I felt it. She I felt ain't gonna the going to leave me in jail all by myself. <laughs> like, nobody's going to visit me no more.
0: The rulers back didn't do as well as Great Adventures, but mainly due to his lack of freedom to travel around the country and promote and do shows. In 1994, Def Jam releases Behind Bars, which was another hastily produced album. Although the lead track featured a then-red-hot label mate, Warren G., Google the Behind Bars video. It was an animated video, and the storytelling was on point. It's literally the story of Slick in that moment. He wrote it right before he went to jail. Now, this situation will go on and haunt him for several years. Remember early on I mentioned his family emigrated to the United States in the 70s? Rick was not a U.S. citizen, And once convicted of a felony by law, he was to be deported. He had only done two years in jail and was actually released in 1993 in a work release program, but was quickly reincarcerated because INS got involved and started the process to deport him. So he remained in jail for three more years. Finally, a judge stepped in and canceled the deportation order, but Rick still had to finish out his parole, which would last until 2000. This would not be the end of this saga, but it did allow him to be free and finally work on the third album, The Art of Storytelling. Which in his mind was his real second album.
2: Okay, my first album was definitely noise. You know what I'm saying. My second and third albums, I ain't like them. They was junk. You know what I'm saying. I apologize. You know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. But this third album is like the real second album. You know what I'm saying. It's, oh, okay. it's fresh. You know, it's stuff you ain't never heard of before. I mean, you never heard before, so that's that's refreshing about it. You know what I mean? It's your stories, vision. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's man, it's mad Nice. You gotta have it in your life. It'll bring enrichment into your life. It'll bring enjoyment into your life. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. All yeah. right.
0: See this. this. This was 11 years removed from his debut album. Hip-hop had changed. The torch was passed to many younger artists who were selling multi-platinum units worldwide. Two of hip-hop's biggest stars, Biggie and Tupac, were dead. The hip-hop community was still mourning this tragic loss. But also, in this particular moment, we were dealing with the puffy Steve Stout altercation over Nas's Hate Me Now video, and we discussed... Both of those situations in this interview.
2: I guess it's an in unfortunate a, in a situation, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. If you look at it like, you know, the rules say, y'all, you know what I'm saying, turn your cheek to a certain degree, you know what I mean? Right. So. It would have been better if, if cats would have just let bygones be bygones He would have never got that 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 ridiculous you know right right he might have might have been involved might not have
1: been involved you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying right and you know you know that back and forth now you know it, it, it's unfortunate you know yeah what you think about what's going on now with Nas and and, and uh oh, the you know what I'm saying thing? yeah what you think about that It's a
2: prime example of you know you should just overlook it. you know, I say saying you know what I'm saying yeah cats getting too much money to be you know what I'm saying feeding into that type of stuff I Nobody would have knocked Puffy if he would have just left it alone.
0: It was for sure a much different time and place for Slick Rick. But while he recovered as an artist from his jail setback, I'm sure he felt the appreciation, respect and influence that his debut album, his style, influenced many of the stars of that era. One of the biggest artists of the 90s was Snoop Dogg, and he redid Lottie Dottie and had so much love for Slick Rick.
3: The first time I heard something from Slick Rick, I was young. I was in my early teens. The song that I heard, it was Lottie Dottie, you know what
0: I'm saying? I mean, 1999, Jay-Z was a superstar. Outkast, who actually had Rick on their 1998 album Aquemini, did a track together called The Art of Storytelling, which reintroduced Rick to their vast fan base, a lot of fan base in the South that maybe not have known as much about Slick Rick. Redman and Method Man were big stars. These were his label mates.
2: Well it's good to know people showing love, you know? That's that's that gives you inspiration. Without love, you know, you just be like people, you know, don't appreciate you.
0: Def Jam was a much different label and brand by now. We discussed hip hop in this new era, 1999. It's
2: advanced, you know what I'm saying? Rappers got a lot more skillful. You know what I mean? It's like the the um the production is a lot more better, you know what I'm saying? Cause the instruments are, you know, definitely, you know, advanced, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, it's a lot more fun. I mean, rappers are making a lot more money, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're owning their own labels now. Millionaires, all this, you know what I'm saying? Um, Bentleys, all this, you know what I'm trying to say? And, you know, a lot of, like, major companies, Kentucky Fried Chicken, all this stuff is starting to use rap jingles, you know what I'm saying? Right. Gap, da 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 you know, it can go on, just go, Tommy Hilfiger goes on, you know what I mean? So, right. it's definitely advanced, you know what I mean? So, I would just say that, you know, God just dropped a bomb on on the minority community and said, "Hey, have a ball just know the rules or, or you won't have longevity, you know what I'm saying?
0: His fourth album, The Art of Storytelling, showcased greater production, a bigger sound, and support from many of the major artists of the moment.
2: I got one with um, Raekwon, the chef from the Wu-Tang. Frozen. Man, you know how that goes. All right. He's doing his thing, ruckus, you know. Um, like you said, the me and Nas joint, Stephanie slamming flavor. I got one with cannabis, you know, cannabis, you know, it's down. So you know how those, those flavors is going. No around. doubt, you no doubt. Um, we got one with Outkast one Street Talk that you play, you know what I'm saying? For big party joint. Um got a brand new one with Doug E. Fresh. And we're gonna get into that in a few minutes and talk about the yeah. how you
3: guys kinda are, are doing yeah, some stuff together you know,
2: now. And um, Jermaine Dupree, we got one with Jermaine Dupree, fresh dressed like a million bucks. Right. And um, who, who am I missing? Chicken That's free dog, you know. Yeah, so definitely a lot of um, artists on the joint to cover that base, you know what I'm saying? So we was definitely versatile on covering all bases, you know what I'm saying? The album would go on to go gold and be his second
0: best performing album after his debut. When we did this interview, you could tell he was humbled and appreciative. Also, you can sense more of an elder statesman for hip hop with a lot of life lessons and advice. In this one clip. He offers advice to up-and-coming rappers.
2: Well, the best thing I can tell you know, do your do your homework. Always do your best. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you feel like this, the joint is getting long and boring, shorten it and, and tighten it up and make it exciting and rich. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, definitely, you know, try to try to have like some kind of positive guideline for yourself. You know what I mean? Because the rah-rah ruckus ain't cutting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the, the big coke dealer, the greatest thief, cut, that ain't gonna happen, kid. Them mm-hmm. joint's is whack. Don't go that route.
0: You know what I mean? In general life advice. He really didn't want anyone else to go through what he went through.
2: Y'all, Yo, you got to step to y'all's like this and like that and blah, 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 then you get mad respect. But you get mad respect from a bunch of little kids, you know what I'm saying? You get respect from adults who got houses and homes and you know what I'm saying? Right. Who, got, who got who got a response, you know, who's going somewhere in life, who, you know, has got grandkids. You get respect from, you know, the loss and the sauce, you know? We don't need that loss and the sauce respect. You need to be able to say, boom, I got this foundation and I'm going, and my kids have got money stashed for college or whatever the case. You know, we growing, we ain't going, you know what I'm saying? Wow. You don't need to be all like, Yo, yo, that nigga represented, man. That, that boy don't take no shorts, man. Yo, yo, you know, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? That is something that eventually you have to grow out of if you don't grow out of it you'll be in here y'all they've got grown brothers in here you know what i'm saying yo man you, 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 you grown i'm talking about 40 50 you know what i'm saying
0: in the african-american community incarceration rates for black men are huge compared to everyone else one in four black men in America will have some form of connection to the criminal justice system, whether it's jail or parole or probation. Recently highlighted by the saga of rapper Meek Mill, this has been going on for generations.
3: If you could say something to all the brothers that's on lockdown right now, yeah. because a lot is said about when you go to jail, you know, they say that society forgets about you. and, yeah. and, and, and they do. It's well, true. Yeah, and, but you are a success story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. forget the fact that you was a rapper. Yeah. The, the point is, Anybody that's in that situation can go, could, could be, can get lost forever, but you kind of found your way out. Yeah. Give a little something to the people that's on lockdown, and give a little yeah. something to people to prevent them from going on lockdown.
2: All right, well, what I did when I was in lockdown, I tried, I stayed away from all that rah-rah, you know what I'm saying? That, you know, feeding into that nonsense, that negativity. You got to be your own man, you know what I'm saying? Cause a lot of brothers get caught up in the in the, the the gang memberships or the the cliques, you know what I mean? And cliques only cause trouble. So I just stayed by myself, took it one day at a time, you know. Stayed away from gossip and stuff that would get me in any controversy, you know. Just prayed every night, you know what I mean? Had a good humble character about me, so people, you know, they had no reason to really really start with me or not, you know what I'm saying? And came home, kid. You try to keep my record clean, cause you know I go, you get a little ticket here and there in jail. It's over. You you know you go to the parole board. They look they look at your record. They're like, okay, you did this 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 this. You need you need more rehabilitation. You ain't seeing the streets no time soon. And they slap me for the littlest thing. You know what I right, mean? Right, so right. It's hard. It's easy getting in, but it's real hard getting back out. You wow. know what I'm saying? So I was I was advise all the brothers that's in there. You know you're not know to play this game, kid. You know what I'm saying? You gotta make that impression. Get all them little certificates to build up your your little resume. So when you go to the parole board, you got a little resume behind you, you know what I'm saying? You got, uh, you know, your officer that's on your block saying yeah, he's a good guy, keeps his nose clean. You know, you got all that kind of stuff to, to get you out the front door, you know what I'm saying? And once, once you get out the front door, just remember what what put you in there in the first place, you know what I'm saying? And as far as these kids that's out here that don't realize how easy it is to get back caught up in there, 80% of the rap you're hearing right now is gonna send you to send you in the system quick, fast. You know what I'm saying? 80%, wow. not 20, 30. 80. And tell them it's <laughs> not kid. real.
3: Tell them it's not real. Yo,
2: kids, it's no joke, kid. 80% kid. You know what I'm saying? Think you we all thought we was tough before we went inside, kid. And then we wow. see these cats. These little alligator skin cats. <laughs> 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 you can't. You know what I'm saying? Tell it it's, like it is, man. That's know, what I want. You, I want kid. you to tell them that. Because right, a lot of people are lost, cats, man. They don't know. Man, you think you was lifting your weight, huh? son. <laughs> right. <These laughs> you cats, go in there, right. you see these giant, giant alligators. You can't. These are like tough alligator skin cats, kid. Right. And, you know, and don't let them have a negative attitude or, you know, be on some negative rah-rah like how you might well, have put you in there. You know what I mean? Because you was, you was had. They taking all your stuff. You know what I'm saying? And they they stay threatening. They do it on extortion, all kind of foul stuff, kid. It's not a pleasant place to be, you know what I mean?
3: You heard that right from the
2: ruler. So all that coke deal and all that, you know what I'm saying? Start sliding out of that, you know what I'm saying? And all that, I'm the greatest thief in the universe. Don't even rap about it. Just learn to go another route, you know what I'm saying? And plus you get more girls that have a route anyway. You know what I mean how many girls you going Yo, I'm gonna steal your mother's purse I'm gonna pee in your elevator. Wow. Just give me your number. Wow. You are gonna catch AIDS from me. You know? <laughs> right. I mean no, he's right. He's right <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So yo, you gotta have you gotta have some kind of direction in your life, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to knock nobody hustle. You know, but you definitely got to have direction in your life. You
0: got to have direction in your life. I know somebody needed to receive that, and it's refreshing to hear a rapper talk honestly about life. Slick Rick would not drop another album again. However, he would lend his voice to other projects. Jay-Z used him on the hook of Girls, Girls, Girls from the classic Blueprint album in 2001. Rick would continue to tour the country, but unfortunately, his past conviction would continue to cause him problems like his freedom and ability to live in America with his family. In 2001, after performing on a cruise ship, as Rick entered back into the United States, he was arrested by immigration officers and deportation procedures began to send him back to the U.K.
2: I feel sad inside, you know what I mean? Because I feel like uh, I'm fighting a losing case, you know? It's like I'm going to get sent to England. All my family is here, my wife, my kids and everything, my whole ties, my job. You know, everything I'll build is here, you know?
0: The British born rapper who was recently inducted into the hip hop hall of fame, struggles to see why immigration officials refuse his request to bond out of jail. And why won't the INS let you bond out
2: of here? Yeah, they say like I'm a flight risk. Um... I don't feel like I'm a flight risk. I mean, I've been in the country for six years, crime-free. You know, I'm not a ticket, nothing. You know what I mean? When I, when I, was commit, when I originally committed my crime, I got bailed out. That's a time, that would have been a flight risk. You know what I mean? And I did my, came and did my time and everything.
0: They would refuse to grant him bail, keeping him in jail for 17 months. Eventually, he was released in 2003. But this was post-9-11 America. The Homeland Security Division of government was now created and more attention was being paid to any illegal alien criminal behavior. The INS under the Bush administration would not give up their fight to remove Slick Rick from the country. Walter served five years and 12 days in prison. The U.S. law states that any non-citizen who serves more than five years in prison must be deported. And the additional 12 days he served may be 12 days too many.
2: He's a convicted felon. Uh, That makes him deportable.
0: While Slick Rick was serving his time, he won the right to stay in the United States. Now the INS appealed and he won. Immigration agents appealed again, he lost, and now
2: he's back in jail. It seems like they need some kind of humane monitoring system in place to say, okay, like weed out the good and the bad or whatever the case, you know what I mean? Because right now, everybody's just getting put in one big get out the country thing, you know what I mean? But when he was brought into the INS custody, um, at that point, we had to take him in and place him
0: under removal proceedings. Therefore, that just means he's going to be returned to his home country. After losing the case, the INS appealed to a very conservative court of appeals in 2006, which would mean definite deportation. This is why you guys got to vote and pay attention to the people you elect or don't elect, because they get a chance to pick judges That may not see things the way that they should be. So on May 23rd, 2008, in a miracle, New York State Governor David Patterson gave Rick a full and unconditional pardon for his 1991 attempted murder charge, thus ending the reasoning for his INS deportation. Rick would eventually become a U.S. citizen in 2016.
2: It don't matter where you come from, you know, it's all about where you go. You know, you can come from the ghetto, you can come from a nice family, you know what I'm saying? It all depends on where you take yourself. It's all about growth. It ain't all about, say, okay, you came from a bad neighborhood, you're in the ghetto, you're in the projects, you got welfare, whatever the case. That don't mean you got to be, uh, 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 it's up to where you take yourself. You know, you have more respect for somebody who came from all of that. And went somewhere and try to keep growing and then somebody that that's there and still on the uh, I'm just as ignorant as all outdoors. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm sure. saying? I ain't learned nothing and I'm just gonna be like this forever and ever. Wow. See what, our generation, you know. We like up in that late 20s, well, really. there, you know what I'm saying? We can't, we playing that little kindergarten game, you know, we too old for that, we got kids, you know, we got responsibilities, we know what time it is, we see, we learn from our parents, you know, and all that and all that, so we gotta go, we gotta take it to that level, and plus, remember I said, we, our roots is rap anyway, you know, yeah. so it ain't all about ignorance, you know what I'm saying, it's all about, yo, music is music, and direction is direction, you know?
0: Thanks for listening to the Backstory Podcast. Log on to our Patreon page for the backstory bonus of Slick Rick, who was surprised we could play one of his explicit songs on the radio. And it has something to do with a former senator and vice president's wife. Also, what does darling Nikki have to do with censorship and music in America? You'll find all of that out on the backstory bonus. So make sure you check that out on our Patreon page. With exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast, you can only get here. Get more of the backstory on our Patreon page. With exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast, you can only get here. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, the legendary production team of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis.
1: We just rode around, went to the lake, went to the club... Know, we just hung around we never went to the studio and after about four or five days of that but we talked and after about four or five days of that she said when are we gonna go to work we said oh we're working we showed her the lyrics to what ended up becoming control and she looked at the lyrics and she said oh my god this is what we've been talking about and we said yeah and she said so wait whatever we talk about that's what we're going to write about yes and it was like a light bulb went off. it was like oh my god